Hey, I'm glad you're here this morning. If you're new or I haven't met you, my name's David. I'm the pastor here. And uh, you have, have stumbled upon the, the midst of a series that we're in. So if you feel lost, let me just catch you up a little bit. Um, we're in, this, in a series through the book of James in the Bible. And James, what we believe of James, of his authority and, and, and history, is that James is the half brother of Jesus. And although the book of James doesn't use the the name Jesus, James drives a lot of what he's teaching us uh, that we see in the life of Jesus. And so many times throughout this series, what we've looked at is the life of Jesus, the response of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And one of the core passages this morning that we'll look at in parallel in the book of James is from Jesus in his ministry. And so if you have a Bible, turn to James uh, chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. We're we're really going to look at those two verses. And last week we kind of did an overview on them. But really what we're going to do is unpack them because those two verses on their own are a a core biblical important message for for us as believers as we look at non-believers in the world around us. And so I'm going to read these two verses In chapter 4, starting in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the comments, and it's also available on the screen. Starting in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So let me just give you some, we're just going to backpedal for a moment. And and just to remind you, you, especially if you weren't here last week, what we saw in the first 10 verses of chapter 4 was that there's really two types of living that James addresses before talking about Uh, judgment and and God's view versus our view. And really these two types of living, he says, are really counter to one another. You can't live in both of these. You have to live in one of these. And And he lists the two as worldliness and godliness. And worldliness really is that that leads to, to just a selfishness producing all kinds of problems that it's not the world around you, but it's the worldliness in you and wanting to live that way. But yet godliness is really leading us to harmony with one another. It leads to humility in our living and a holiness as we pursue relationship with God. And so last week, we really looked at how James opened this passage with a question, and then he actually just answers it for us. So he asked really the question, what's causing these issues in your community? What's causing these issues in the world? When you look at the world and you're like, man, this feels broken. Us as believers, we feel jaded. We feel like we're not on the path we were once called to. What are all these problems, James asks? And then he answers it for us. He says, it's the worldliness. It's not the world around you, it's the worldliness in you. And so he says, it's this war within you, not choosing godliness, but at times grabbing godliness and grabbing worldliness and trying to make a life out of that. And so James really said in verse one, the first thing that he brings up is that it's the war within us, really meaning that the war is in our heart. It's this issue of not fully following Jesus, but adding some of what Jesus said and adding some of what the world says. And this is causing all kinds of wars, not just physical wars, but relational wars 
and all in our churches and, and, and everywhere else. And really what we looked at last week is that it's really out of our desire for things to satisfy us that really cause this war. It's that selfishness. And it's you and I viewing, listen to this, it's you and I viewing others, everything else, everyone else in light of believing in one way or another that you're the point. That, that how you participate in things, how you approach people, how you approach relationship is based on what can I get out of it? I want to be the point in it, even subconsciously. So out of that, that's how we approach things. So the truth is, spoiler alert, you're not the point. Okay? So, so what James really tells us is if we're to abandon worldliness, pursue God, draw near to God, then it has to be at the part of denying ourselves as Jesus is when he first called those to follow him in Luke 9. We have to deny ourselves. And so as believers, the point is not ourselves, but it really shifts us towards continually removing in us what is worldly. Not, not perfectly, but faithfully removing in us what is worldly and pursuing what is godly in our lives. We, we looked at this, how it's that word that is, is that process that defines that is sanctification. That as we looked at that, sanctification is the pursuit of pursuing holiness. So this week as we unpack these two verses, just these two verses that we read, James really reminds us that there's a right way to judge and there's a wrong way to judge. That, that our view of others, our view of this world, our view of God is not like his view. And sometimes those we think are in alignment, how we view things is perfectly, we're on spot, but our view is not God's view. And so as we look at those differences, what we see is that our view is really a, a partial judgment. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Our view is partial judgment. And there are ways that we judge one another. There are ways in which we judge one another that we don't even realize sometimes. And often we find ourselves judging based on what we believe is fair. I think this is one of the ways that we judge that we don't realize. We judge based on what we believe is fair. So it's the good person believing that they're doing pretty good. I'm, I'm in check. I'm paying my bills. I'm doing the nine to five. I'm the good person and we judge the bad person. Well, if, if they just did the nine to five like I did, they wouldn't have those problems. Or it's the gifted judging the less gifted. If they just, you know, if they just figured out what their niche was, they'd be better. Or it's the wealthy judging the poor. Man, if they just manage their money better, man, look at them. And, and so it's the more wealthy, not the really wealthy, it's typically just the little more wealthy judging the poor. And then it's, it's the active judging the less active whether physically or spiritually. It's the really active. Come on, look at all I'm involved in. Look at all I'm doing. Look at how much I go to the gym. Just, just meet me halfway. If you just do better in this, you'd be better in this. And then I think also we, we have the less active judging the active. Okay, you're neglecting your life. You're spending too much time at the gym. You're spending too much time doing all this. You're just religious, and so we have all this judging going around based on believing that, that, that this is what's fair. This is what I've done in my life. This is what I've built up. And, and this is just what's fair. So this is what comes from our view, not God's view of us, but our view. 
So this is a type of judgment of one another, not based on, on gospel living, not based on gospel view of one another, but a judgment based on what we believe is fair. So let me tell you this. You don't want what is fair. You don't. You don't want what's fair. Because at the heart of the gospel message, the truth is God, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite, perfect creator, and as he created us for his glory, what we've done is we have, at one point or another, we have rejected God, we have rebelled against God for our view. And through that, you and I, here's what we've done. We've belittled him. We've belittled his name, belittled his glory. And every one of us at one time or another has believed that our way is better than God's. Our view is better than God's. So you don't want what's fair. You don't want what what you really deserve. Because when it comes to judgment, what you want is what actually isn't fair. What you need is what isn't fair and what you don't deserve because what you've been given is God's grace. As we looked at last week, when we humble ourselves, God gives more grace. So let me tell you, church, you don't want what's fair because what's fair is not where you're at now. Through God's grace, he moves towards us as we move towards him. This is how we need to begin to view judging rightly. Not based on our view, but based on God's view, which is based on his grace. Which really means for you and I, that dealing, dealing with the sins and the issues it, it is not looking outward, but looking inward. What's going on in my life? What's the sin? What's the issue first in me that I need to deal with? And so what James says here, we see also, like I said earlier, from Jesus's ministry, from Jesus's life. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, see, I think it's really easy for us to look at this and take into consideration, man, that's, that's really heavy. That's, man, okay, there's a comparison of I've got more in my own life. But for you visual junkies, here's, for me, this is what's helpful. When we built this wall, we had some leftover wood, so I grabbed this out of the back. And just thinking, this is, this is how we act when when. What Jesus is saying, we're walking into relationship with someone else. And these are the specks. This is what I grabbed off of my saw. There's a speck on my finger. There's just one speck. You can barely see that. But this is how you walk around. And do you see what happens? You become the visually impaired not, not seen through gospel living, but this is, this is how you walk around. If I look ridiculous right now, I hope that sinks in for a moment. Just this is how ridiculous we walk in and what Jesus is addressing. As we walk in and say, hey, you know, I've, I've really noticed you're not at small group lately. What's going on? You know, I think, uh, I think there's something wrong in your life. You know, you should address that. And, and then, we, then we walk back and forth to these different parts of our community. And, and this is how we look. 
This is how we look to the church. This is how we look to the community surrounding. And, and this just looks ridiculous. I look like a fool. I feel like a fool. But what we do is, is we have this belief that we are the ones to point out in someone what's going on to something we can barely see while this is what's going on in front of us. And so Jesus says, this is what you need to address. This is what you need to handle. And church, let me tell you this. Jesus is not saying you need to change a position of this being in your eye to this being in your hand as a weapon. What we need to do with our view is we need to let it go. We literally need to just drop it and let it go. And so taking the log out of our eye, as we see from Jesus, is about changing positions. Not positions from from a point of attack, but a point of surrender. So who needs to do the work first? You do. Not anybody else. You do. Address what's going on in your own life. You do the work first before you ever go out, even, even in conversations, and point out that speck of dust in your neighbor's eye. I think this is the most important thing for us as a church. That as we look at what is in our own lives, it causes us to change positions, not from a point of attack. Okay, I took that out of my eye and now I'm gonna just come after you and beat you with this with holy focus, but surrender ourselves in such a way that we would say, not my will, but yours be done, God. Not my view, but your view. Because notice, notice here, I think as we surrender, something important to understand is in verse 5, Jesus doesn't, doesn't say, you will see clearly to live without judgment, but that he addresses when we first address our judgment, our issue, our sin, it allows us to judge rightly based on God's view. And, and so one of the things we've kind of gone full circle to, just kind of off in the distance, is when it comes to church discipline. I mean, when it comes to godly leaders over your life, calling you out, not with a stick coming after you and beating you. And some of you have that story. You you feel absolutely brutalized by the church. But for those who have been addressed, not by a leader holding a stick, but by saying, brother, sister, let's, let's lay this down together. This is not God's view. This is not living according to godliness. This is living according to worldliness. I mean, I think back to one of my old interns when I was in youth ministry, sitting with him in my garage after six months of youth ministry. And uh, part of our conversation was assessing how things were going. And one of the things I told him was, you know, I really love you, man. He's like, awesome, I love you too. I said, you're a terrible intern. And he just looked at me and was like, okay, this is gonna get deep. And through that conversation, as, as harsh as that may have sounded, it was the process of unpacking some of the behavioral stuff that was not a God's view of working in ministry. There was a discipline there that was saying, I love you and I'm gonna move towards you. Because when it's our view, it's judgment that's empty. When it's God's view, it is moving towards us in reconciliation. And so God's view is not a partial judgment like ours, but God's view is right judgment. God's view is right judgment. And we don't like the idea or, or understand the characteristic of, of God as being the judge or God as, of wrath. And, and I think this is often why we refer so much more to God as the God of love than the God of wrath. 
You don't hear, you know, like, oh man, I've just been studying and just learning the characteristics of the God of wrath. Oh, it's been fulfilling. You don't hear that, but you hear people say, man, I've been learning about God's love. And that is important, but also I think there's an incredible truth about the God of wrath. There's an artist, David Crowder, a worship artist, who is most commonly known for the song, How He Loves. Uh, You've probably all heard it on the radio. If you haven't, it's a great song. He didn't write it. He had nothing to do with that. He just grabbed it and made it popular. But what he, he is least known for but wrote was a song called God of Wrath. And when he wrote it, he actually had to go on a lot of the popular networks saying, okay, let me explain this song because no one wanted to play it. No one wanted to do that song in their church. I remember doing it in youth group and people being like, where's how he loves? Don't do that song. God of wrath. I don't get it because we don't fully understand that side of God sometimes. But God's judgment is right and it is righteous. And this is an incredible part of the gospel because God being perfect, he was not able to spare his wrath upon us. And so here's what he does being the God of love and the God of wrath. He sends Jesus in the flesh and for your sake, he crushes him. For you and I, he crushes him. And by God doing this, he puts all of the wrath of himself, of God, on the children of God, towards the children of God, onto the Son of God, killing him on the cross. And so God raised him after three days from the dead, and that same power, God satisfying the wrath that he had towards our sin, towards our worldliness, he then, through his love, raised Christ from the dead And that same power where Christ was raised, that same power from the Father is now at work in those who believe. And so we see this in in 1 John, one of the men that Jesus loved dearly in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I explained this word to us as a church back when we were studying First John in our series, Love One Another. And the word propitiation means the removal of the wrath of God, the satisfaction of the wrath of God against sinners, us as sinners by the death of Jesus. So he loved us so much that at our worst state, he put his own son in place to give you what isn't fair, to give you what you don't deserve. So God's judgment here is right. And he doesn't choose maybe what you want, but he chose what you needed. He chose perfectly what you needed. And even though he knew what we were like before Christ, listen to this, he still chose you. He knew exactly what your life was like before Christ, and he chose you. And what that tells us, just a little encouragement for you, church, what God says about you, what he believes about you, what he knows about you is far more important than what you say about you. What God thinks about you, what God knows about you is far more important than what, God, than what you think about you. And so at some point, we have to give up our own way. 
We have to stop doing things based on our view. And that means really humbling ourselves, allowing God to do the work. And often, this requires a really painful self-discovery process. And, and finally, through that painful but intentional process, a heartfelt repentance, a, a desire to, to turn from what is worldly and pursue God and godliness, where, where we begin to submit to God, where, where he lovingly just pulls back layer after layer of our own selfishness to train us to be holy as he is holy. To, to move us in to following Jesus, who is our perfect example. Because in Christ, we have a new view. It's not our view, but to pursue God's view in Christ, we have a new view. And here's what's incredible about Christ as our new view, is that Christ's love for us, his view of the world, is not like our love and view of the world. Christ's love for and view of, of, of us is not like our view of ourselves and our view of others. And so in Christ, we, we have this opportunity to not alter our view, fix it up nice, but to have a new view where it would change how we live. I've shared with you before this story of a couple years ago where I was uh, in the kitchen. Uh, my wife and I were first married, and I took my glasses off, and I, I grabbed them swiftly, and they broke. They were just really brittle glasses. And they broke, and I was devastated because that was like my identity. That was my thing. I don't go anywhere without my glasses. That's just, that was my look. That's what I loved. I don't like not having glasses. I've never considered contacts, not because I'm afraid of putting something in my eye, but it's just my thing. I love my glasses. I love that look. And I remember those glasses breaking and in that moment being like, what am I going to do? And so we went to the, we went to Sears when that was a thing and we went and got glasses and, and I loved them. But here was the problem. The gal told me for the next two weeks, you will not be able to have the frames that you need because you need an eye exam. And I don't know if you know this, but about every two years, you need to check up on that. I thought that was one and done. And so coming to find out, I'm actually really blind as a young person. I went and got the eye exam. I, I assessed the situation, waited for the lenses. But here, here's the catch that becomes humorous. This is, this is a moment of confession for you, church. For two weeks, I allowed people to believe that I was walking around with glasses with new lenses. I had taken Gugon and I literally took off the writing on there so I could wear glasses because that was my look. And so with fake lenses, I act like I had these lenses that were helping me see things clearly. And literally at a point of teaching, I was reading something and kind of squinting and someone said, Someone said, you know, well, you have glasses. Why are you squinting, you know, after the message? And I just lied. I lied my butt off. Oh, the, the light was dim. And, and, and I was going on this false sense of, of new view. And then I got the call for my lenses. And I went in and, and they popped the plastic ones off where I had to admit to the lady why I use Gugan on them. <laughs> and then she popped in the new ones. And the whole car ride home, I was like a giddy little kid. I could see new things. I could read things. 
It was an incredible experience. I, I was convinced. I tried to convince Shauna. I was seeing new colors. I was seeing new things. And, and I was seeing more clearly. And, and even I had headaches that went away. And so out of this, I had a new view. This is what happens when we choose to follow Christ. We gain a new view. And so the frame that you have may, may, may be working for you, but the lenses, if you are without Christ, then the problem there is you're without a view you've been designed to see through. And so what we need is a new view, not our own, but an, a new view in which we'll see everything through. And so what we need is we need God's view. We need his response because our view is partial. It's not complete as God's is. It's not right as God's is, but it's partial. And it's often based on viewing others in light of their, their humanness, not based on who they are in Christ, but based on their humanness. And so Christ's view is different than our view. Christ's view is based on what God did through him on the cross. It's reconciliation. And so for us, church, what we need to do is humbly come before God and just say, God, would you take my view? It's, it's cheap. It's fake. It's plastic. And, and replace it for Christ's view the perfect example of God's perfect view. And I think what's hard is for some reason, it's easy for us to jump to negative conclusions about people. It's easy for us sometimes to assume the worst rather than the best of them. And, and, and I think sometimes what we do is we really just chalk it up to bad intentions. We, we chalk it up to just evil purposes. They're just being dumb. And, and, and honestly, that may not even be the case. And I think this, this attitude, this approach, this view of humanness towards humans often actually reveals something about us. And I think what it reveals is that the fault we often see in others is more often than not a, a direct reflection of our own issues. That, that it's so much easier to point the finger than to put it in and say, God, work on me. What's going on in me? needs to change. I see that. It's so much easier to point the finger. It's so much easier to say, I've, I'm doing things better to, to base it on what we believe is fair. So church, as we, as we come to a close, I, I just want to ask you a question that I asked all of us back in week three of our series when we talked about partiality, how our view is, is partial. And the question I asked you was, who is seated on the throne of your life. Who is seated on the throne of your life? Because what we need to do is we need to stop trying to see with our own partial view, seen through our humanness, through fake lenses that we try to add chemicals to and, and make it all fake and lie to others. I'm seeing perfectly through these, these true lenses. We need to stop seeing through those. We need to stop responding with our own partial heart and begin to see through Christ's view. So who is on the throne of your life? Is it you or is it God? Let's pray.